Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome to today's Happy Hour podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Benton, and if you're a single tomato who's feeling a little hopeless about finding love, this episode is for you. Our guest today is Sandy Weiner. She's a dating coach and chief love officer, I love that title, (laughs) of Last First Date, which is devoted to helping women achieve healthy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. She's an internationally known dating coach and life coach, blogger, radio host, communications expert, and a TEDx speaker. Sandy has expanded her coaching to encompass more than just dating in recent um, months, too, to focus on helping women build confidence in all areas of their lives through her other venture called The Woman of Value. And she's also a contributor about dating to The Three Tomatoes. And if you're in the New York City area, you can actually meet Sandy and two other dating experts on October 28th at our Three Tomatoes event called the Ultimate Dating Advice Event. And believe me, it is the ultimate event. You'll find details on the homepage of our website at the3tomatoes.com. So, Sandy, welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. Oh, and since it's happy hour, and it is happy hour, I'm actually have a glass of wine and I'm doing a little virtual clink, clink, clink toast here. <laughs> Here's mine right here. Good <laughs> everyone out there. So I always start like to start with women's stories and how they've created second and, and third acts for themselves, which you have actually done too in midlife and beyond. And it's really interesting because I think this will be the 39th podcast that we're doing. And almost every person that we have um, had the chance to interview, really has a great story of, you know, something they had done earlier in their lives or careers, but then as they got into midlife, really switched directions. And I think those stories are always so inspiring for, for so many of us out there. So we'd love to hear how you went from being a Tootsie Roll, and I love that I, that concept, that imagery, which is actually the topic of your really wonderful TEDx talk, to becoming a dating and women's empowerment coach. Well, so it's not my second or third act. I think it's my 18th act. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's probably truer for most of us, I think. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to somebody who's deciding which college to go to, and I said, you know, you don't have to decide everything in your life right now because it's probably going to change a hundred times. Um, I think if you're tuned in and you're really living a life that is authentic and, and as we get older, I think that the ones of us, you know, those of us who are not sheep, but are really looking to live our best life are trying to find what is going to make us feel alive and what's going to make us feel happy. And so as I was approaching midlife, or I was already in midlife, I I was in my mid to late 40s when I got divorced. And 
my marriage really i i was a, a a shadow of who i really was i mean i think a lot of us lose ourselves in marriage we do it to for for many reasons for me i chose a man who helped me to i thought feel safe and it really wasn't safe and safety isn't always the way to go um, anyway, because I think we need to we need to really find what works for us and, and what really is the best relationship. But I, I didn't know much about relationships. And so my TEDx talk is is about being a Tootsie Pop, which um, is full of those, you know, layers upon layer upon layer, those hard layers that surround the soft, mushy center. And that's really who I had become. I, I was mushy inside because I didn't know my true worth and I didn't know my my values and so I didn't have the standards that I could then turn to when it came to relationships and instead every time I went through heartbreak I would develop a tough guard which was the Tootsie Pop layers and I didn't realize until after my divorce that that was really what was keeping me single all those years before I met my husband that tough exterior is a, is a repellent and after my divorce, I actually, in the process of divorce, I decided to become a life coach because I always loved helping people all my life. And up until that point, I was a working artist. I did many different types of art and I worked, my husband was, was a comedian, a professional comedian. He still is. And we did a children's show together. It was very creative, but it wasn't all of me. And in fact, when we finished our show, it was for Nickelodeon. It was like, you know, big international show. He, um, he said, wow, your dream came true. You're on national television. And I said, actually, that's your dream and not mine. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Yeah. And I think often we're living somebody else's dream. And I really needed to find what was my dream. And so life coaching became my dream. And as I became a coach, I started to see the parts of my life that I had abandoned and the parts where I needed to get more strong and more clear. And I started to just kind of accidentally falling into the dating coaching. I was helping a friend who was making a complete mess of her dating life. And she was dating after her divorce. I wasn't yet. I was busy taking care of my family and starting a new business and doing all the other stuff. And she was doing things that were to me so clear and she couldn't see. And one day she said to me, Sandy, you're, you're a man whisperer. You understand men. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, wow. That's, that's really interesting. Cause I, it, it just came so naturally and I explored the field. It turned out it is a field and I wanted to do better for myself and for other women. And so that's how the, that's how the whole dating coaching really started. So was there a, a particularly moment you were going through this divorce? Was there some kind of catalyst or something that said, I want to be a life coach? I mean, it's like, did you just <laughs> wake up one morning? I just... You know, did something trigger that or um, well, got you interested in, in in saying this is something I, I can really help people that and that obviously also led to the dating thing. But yeah, it's a great question because I didn't even know what a life coach was. I don't think most people did back right. in uh, 2006. I think it was that I started coaching school. I loved psychology 
and studied in college, I studied art therapy because I wanted to meld my love of art and therapy. And I didn't like the program, so I just ended up with a fine arts degree. And I just said, you know, that's a part of me that is unrealized. I was helping people by beautifying their homes. I was making a difference in that way. But the divorce was a catalyst for me to make a bigger difference, to feel that I was making an imprint in the world, that I could help people in a bigger way. And I also didn't really feel that people valued me enough with my art. You know, a lot of times I do these these shows and they were juried. So they had, you know, they're a higher caliber, but people would come up to me and try to bargain me down after I'd work for, I don't know, months on a piece, you know, and it, it just right. felt so devaluing. And with coaching, when you help other people, it's like that ripple effect. You change their lives and they change other people's lives. And it's so big. And a friend of mine was the one who came up to me and sent me, she sent me this link to coaching. Um, up until then, I was thinking social work, psychology, and coaching was, it was it. And, and then I had a friend who went to coaching school who was brilliant. And so she she hammered it home for me that it wasn't some kind of new agey wacko, you know, right, right. it actually was legitimate. And I think it fits my personality because I'm very goal oriented. I'm very practical. And I also don't like to, to go back and, and spend a ton of time uncovering the past. I'd rather focus on the present and the future, which is really what coaching is. Yeah. And that's so important. And I love your story because I really love how you took the therapy piece of the art which is something you obviously cared about and have brought it forward here. And it's interesting because we've heard this in so many stories over the last few months of uh, talking to people and how they've been able to take something that they have loved, but may turn that into something different. And I think you've done that here really, really well too. So you got into becoming a, a dating coach, but before that, uh, I know I read that you had to start to really dig deep into yourself to figure out why your own relationships weren't working out. So what would you say were some of the most important things that you personally learned? Uh, so many. Um, well, first of all, <laughs> recognizing that we're the common denominator in relationships, that the only person we can work on is ourselves. And I think most of us come from some form of dysfunctional home where we don't have the ideal relationship modeled for us. And I certainly had my share of that. And so I, I, you know, I went through this marriage thinking, oh, well, I married the wrong person and he's the problem, but I picked him, you know, so right. I was part of the problem. And so I started to first look at like, what made me choose someone like this? And what were the key areas that didn't work? And really what I discovered was the way that we communicated was really awful. And I read a book by Dr. John Gottman um, called The Seven Principles uh, of a Healthy Marriage or something. I always get the title wrong, but he's fantastic. So if you're listening to this, look up John Gottman. He discovered that there were four ways that people argue that would almost guarantee divorce within 10 minutes of watching a couple. And he did a 20 year empirical study of couples putting like leads on them and watching how they related to each other, how when one person would say something and the other person was contemptful, for example, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so how you turn towards or away from somebody is really important. And when I read this, and he calls them the four horsemen, um, they are contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, and criticism. And when you look at those four ways of arguing, there is no connection. There is, I'm right, you're wrong, and mm-hmm. um, I'm slamming a door in your face. And so that was one of the first epiphanies that the way we argued was pretty clear from the beginning. There was really very little negotiation. And so that was important for me to look for, number one, a different type of person, but also how do I show up in an argument? How do I show up in conversation? And so I began to focus on communication skills and boundaries. And I learned that my boundaries were really, really flimsy. So now I teach boundaries because I worked on my own first. So it was a lot of those kinds of things and seeing like, where was I not fully showing up? Where was I not speaking up? And that's why women's empowerment is such a big part of my work. Wow, that's a great story. And I and I love those four points that you made too. Oh my gosh, if so many of us had <laughs> paid attention to those, we'd be in a very different place with that. Yeah. Uh, along the way with relationships that haven't worked for, you know, just about everybody some, somewhere along the line. Um, so I think that's really key. And also you made a really good point too, that you were also following somebody else's dream. And I think women tend to do that certainly a lot more than, than men do, you know, whether it's their, you know, parents or something they thought they were supposed to be good at as a child or, you know, following a man's dream. And we've all seen that happen over and over again. So it's it's very easy to lose yourself in a relationship. And I find that in particular is happening a lot in midlife, where a lot of the women I work with are very established in career or they're retired and they've been alone for a long time. Then they get involved with a guy and suddenly they're accommodating and they're giving mm-hmm. up their morning routine and their, their meditation practice and the way they eat. And now they're getting really grouchy and grumpy and like, well, I hate this guy. <laughs> and so our work together is to get them to reclaim the parts of themselves that they continue to give up. And it's, it stems from childhood. I mean, this, the codependency, the I have to accommodate, you know, it's so ingrained in so many people. And so I work with a lot of women who grew up with that kind of dysfunction, with alcoholism in the family, with mental illness, with um, neglect. Right. And so they don't, they repeat. Yeah. That's so interesting because I actually have a, a friend who shall remain nameless, but she's a wonderful, she's very wonderful at getting online dates and meeting these very um, accomplished, successful men. And they all fall in love with her. But the reason they all fall, and it never works out, because the reason they all fall in love with her, and she admits this, is because she actually becomes a reflection of who they think they want. Mm. And and then she realizes this isn't what she wants, so they never really work out, you know. And, yeah. I mean, she's a very successful career person, you know. She had a relationship with a judge who had retired and wanted her to move to a golf community. And then she's like, well, that isn't me at all. But, um, you know, it's def- definitely part of, I think, the syndrome, too, with um, 
you know, we want to please that person so much and be what they want us to be that we're not being ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about the types of clients you do work with and 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 some of the ways that you actually uh, help women. So I know it's single, you know, they're widows, they're divorced, right? Some have never been married. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of these women you are working with. Yeah, I mean, the one thing they have in common is a lack of success in relationships, but the widows, a little less so. Like, so they, a lot of them are just um, unsure about how to go about dating at this Mm -hmm. point in life. And when we start working together, um, I'm working with, uh, I've worked with a number of widows, for example, who suddenly realize, oh, you know, I had a great marriage, but I really wasn't myself for a lot of that marriage either. And so that's the, we do that work first um, in conjunction with trying to get them online and, and getting them um, to show up on dates in a more authentic way. Uh, I've worked with women who were never married, who were in their 50s. I helped one woman uh, who had tried everything and she couldn't understand. She was successful at work. And so here's that, that's the typical thing. They know how to show up as, at work. It, it, it requires them to do to be successful at doing, but being successful at being, which is much more of a feminine energy kind of thing, it's not what we get applauded for. It's not what, it, growing up, most of us were not accepted for who we were, but what we did. You get good grades and you were quiet and you showed up and you behaved, but just for being you, how many people actually get loved just for being themselves? Oh, my gosh. That's a huge statement, what you just said. And I, I hope everyone listening to that really takes that in. That mm. That's that's really that's really powerful, Sandy. Oh, well, I I see this all the time. And this is this is the work. It's learning how to be vulnerable, learning how to show up and, and be yourself. Don't accommodate and turn into a pretzel to accommodate somebody else, but to know how to be in relationship, but to love who you are and to be proud of who you are, especially the quirks and the crazy parts and, you know, the, the, the silly parts, because if we're just trying to show up and be perfect and get our face done and, oh my God, like when I started dating after my divorce, I, I thought nobody was going to accept me. I mean, I had had four kids and, you know, breast that breastfed for six years or whatever <laughs> altogether, you know, it's like, who's going to want this body? <laughs> and I was so young, you know, when I think about it, uh, relatively speaking, I was right. younger, I was thinner and we, we're not taught to love ourselves just for who we are. And now the opposite happens. I come in as the chooser and this is what I teach. It's, you are the chooser. You are the treasure. You are the chooser. And you come in and, and ask yourself, is this person going to enhance my life? Is this going to be a good use of my energy? <laughs> because our energy and our time are priceless. And so knowing how to find that checklist, the real checklist, not the checklist of good job. Uh, he has to be in the C-suite. He has to own his own home. Uh, those are not good markers. Um, you need to see if a person is what we call a mensch, um, somebody who, who really treats you well, who is consistent, who shows up, who follows through, um, you know, who has his own life. He's not clinging to you and you have your own life. So a lot of it is just relearning how to be in relationship. 
That's that's such great advice. And I know you did a uh, we published one of your articles. I think it was a couple of weeks ago uh, around that topic, too. And it was, uh, you know, it's not what he says, but what his actions are. Oh, yeah. And oh, my gosh, I see so many women who fall into that trap of, oh, but, you know, but he loves me and oh, but he didn't mean that or whatever. Yeah. And they make excuses over and over for you know, it's really poor and unacceptable behavior. So, yes. you, yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, so, no excusing the inexcusable. And the other one I love is there is no excuse for abuse. And oh, so yes. Name yeah. it. Like if somebody is verbally abusive to you, that is abuse. And there is absolutely no excuse. I don't care if you're hungry. If you haven't slept in three days, you don't treat me that way. Yes. And so Abs that yeah, you have absolutely. to own it. You have yeah. to own it. Yeah, the abuse thing is another whole, uh, another whole um, issue here for yeah. for for sure. That yes, no women, sh every woman should recognize what abuse is, and that it's not just physical. It very much can be um, emotional, and you do not have to put up with that. And no one, and no one should. Absolutely. So yeah. So another thing you were talking about, you know, women who are very successful and they're great. You know, they're great in their careers and their jobs because they're doing, but they're not really who they are. So I know one of the things that you coach women on is showing up often, often. Oh, I can't pronounce this today. I, must have, I should have another glass of wine to be authentic. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of those words. Everyone says, oh, you know, we have to be authentic. And it's one of those words that's sort of bandied around so much that it's sort of lost meaning. But what does authenticity mean to you? And can you give us a couple of examples? And how important is this in the relationship factor? Yeah, it's a great question because it is bandied around a lot. There is, um, you know, what what is it to be you? Just be yourself. That's what a lot of people say. Just be you. Just show up as you. Like, what is that? Who knows? Right. Who, who am I? So I think first you have to get clear. Who are you? What are your strengths? What are your values? And I do, um, I do a value strings exercise with clients where we take like the top values. Um, so I could do it with you actually, Cheryl. Would you like to do a little coaching sure, yeah, exercise? Absolutely. Um, so let's do two. What's, what's one of your top values? Um, family. Family, okay. So when we take family now to somebody, family could mean uh, I call my kids every day or uh, we have a family reunion once a year. Like for everybody, it's something different. So when we take the values and then we create a string of words after it that shows what is it to Cheryl. Then we start to find out what your authentic self is. So what is family to you? Oh, that's the question you're asking me. Yes. Oh, it, it's being there for my my children, my grandchildren, my husband. You know, it's being available. It's not being overly obsessive about their lives or what's going on, but it's making sure that we are connected and that we know that we're here for each other. Mm. Beautiful. So what I'm getting from, from your description is that family is not just important to you, but how you show up with your family also, so that you are there, you're present, you're, you're not, it's not about gifts, it's more about being there, and um, you also have boundaries with your family. Right. Well, I love that exercise, and I can see how that can really help 
people understand more who they are and then put that in perspective when they're meeting someone else in terms of how, you know, how you carry that forward. So what's important to them? And you can't really understand that unless you know the things that you value, I, I think, before you can understand does that person value the same thing? So if right. I'm, yeah, so if I'm a person who really values family and connecting, and I've been married for 39 years, so it's hard <laughs> for me to go to the state, thank goodness, go to the state thing. But if I, if I weren't and I was meeting someone who has, for example, no, is divorced and has no relationship with their children, that would probably create a problem for us, would it not? Yeah, and I would get curious then. So tell me about that, because... Um, what we do is we write people off really quickly and we make up stories. And so instead of making up stories and judging, we have to know what it is to that person. So for example, we, at this stage in life, we often meet people who are married more than once. You could make up that those people are a liability, or you could also find out that that person loves to be married (laughs) and, you know, it just didn't work out, but that they could be an amazing partner. So we can't, we can't just jump to conclusions, but we want to find out, we get curious, we lean in to the questions about the things that make us a little bit triggered, um, like doesn't have a relationship with their kids. Tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my ex-wife, you know, is crazy. She's a lunatic. She <laughs> took the kids and moved right. three states away. <laughs> okay. Tell me more about that. Well, we want to know, is he just bashing his ex-wife or is there really an issue that he's fighting in court? We don't know. Um, yeah, so we have to know who we are. And then the more we can share these these little bits about ourselves, the more somebody else who we're dating feels safe sharing about themselves. And so it really connects in a much deeper way, much quicker than most people date. Yeah, that's really that's really sound advice. And another thing I want to talk to you about is I know that you you had said that uh, when you started dating after your divorce, you realized you had become a man repellent. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that term because actually, I you know, I, I know so many women who are, you know, out there and they're dating. And a lot of times I say, oh, I went out and this guy is fabulous and great and it's going so well. And then suddenly it's not going well and they have no idea what they did or why. And the guys kind of disappear, not necessarily ghosting them, but just, you know, they just had such a different take on how the relationship was going than obviously this person did. And I know you have um, uh, a, a free guide that our listeners can actually download called the top 10 reasons why men disappear. So can we talk about that just for a minute or so? And are, do women sabotage themselves? Why, what's going on here? <laughs> so this was actually Rachel Greenwald, who's a dating coach and a matchmaker, wrote a book called Have a Met Hello. And she talked about different types of women who show up on dates and why men don't call women back. She did. She actually did exit interviews with a thousand men. Wow. And um, we don't usually get the opportunity to do an exit interview on a date. <laughs> um, so she gave everybody this window in. Um, this was her MBA project, her thesis. And so... Um, I found I found out what I was doing wrong by reading her book. And one of them is, you know, if you're bossy, 
without meaning to be so. So like we should, that's the number one reason, actually. Women thought it was because men were intimidated. I hear that all the time. Oh, they were intimidated by my success. Yes. Actually, men are not intimidated. Like a, a, a grounded, successful man is not intimidated by a woman's success. He's actually turned on by successful women, but he's not looking for somebody's achievements. <laughs> that's like a colleague. That's not romantic to just talk about all your achievements. So that's what we call masculine energy. And that is a man repellent. When you show up with all this masculine proving energy, um, achieving what I did with my life and, uh, you know, right or wrong thinking, that's, that's, um, that's not connecting in, in a polarity where a woman, man, he's going to see a, a, a use for you in his life because he can get that from a colleague you know, having those great conversations. And that's why after a great date where you thought, oh my God, we had a great conversation, but he doesn't, he doesn't feel the void. He doesn't feel like, oh my God, she would really enhance my life in a romantic way. Maybe we, maybe I'd hire her, but maybe not. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so that's like the number one reason is that men really were turned off by women's bossiness, by their bringing all this masculine energy to the date rather than their nurturing, warm, feminine energy. And so that doesn't mean that you suppress the rest of yourself. It means that you lead with the warmth instead of all your accomplishments. You lead with your heart. You lead with the vulnerability. You talk about your passions. You talk about your dreams. You talk about something emotional. You use more feeling words than thinking words. And yes, you can definitely get involved in great conversations. But if you're not if you don't have any polarity, any opposites attract, you know, we all have to have something the other person doesn't have, then there's not going to be a guy pulling away from the date, driving away saying, oh my God, she's so memorable. I'm so impressed by her achievements. I mean, he's not going to do that. That is fast. That is really fascinating. So honestly, everyone, can they go to your website and download the top 10 reasons? Because I yes. think, uh, yeah, okay, that is great. Because every single woman out there needs to do that right now. I'm telling you. Yeah. We're, we're, I, this has gone so fast. And honestly, everyone just has to come and hear you at the dating. Yeah. So we could continue this conversation. But just a couple of things quickly before we have to uh, close out today's podcast. But, you know, online dating, you know that seems to be the way people are meeting everyone these days it's you know where it seems to all be happening are there steps that people can take online to attract the right people and let's just talk a little bit about the dating profile does it start there it definitely starts there so pictures pictures before writing a single word get great pictures and it doesn't mean you have to do professional but professional helps and you want to show yourself at your best. I mean, how many people who look online will scroll right past a picture that's a little blurry or how many pictures do I know men take pictures in the bathroom all the time on the bathroom yeah. mirror. It's like, uh, uh, bye. Right. So, you know, you get that split second to make an impression. So start with great pictures, make sure you have some close-ups and some full body shots, no matter what your body looks like truth in advertising. Cause as soon as that person meets you, they're going to know the truth. So don't, don't bait and switch. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, write a little bit, not a whole, what we call a Megillah. You know, it's not, 
it's it's just a little window into your life. That's it. And it's enough to intrigue. And I, I do a whole, I, I do a lot more. And I mean, this is a major, right. I do teach a yeah. whole course on this. But yeah, start with great pictures, for sure. That's, that is great. And then what do you say to women who are out there who have gotten so discouraged that they'll ever find love again? What would you say to them? It only takes one. <laughs> And and you have to be in it to win it. So get out there and and meet people in real life, meet people online. You have to be out, uh, get out of your comfort zone. It's just, you you can't meet people sitting in your house watching Netflix. It just doesn't work. Well, this is just has been a great conversation. I know eye opening for a lot of uh, women out there. And I know that um, they're going to all want to get in touch with you. So tell us how can our listeners find you? And how can they work with you? Well, thank you. This is a great conversation. I really enjoyed it, too. Um, You can find me at lastfirstdate.com. And uh, all my social media contacts are there. I also have a fantastic Facebook group that's free. It's called Your Last First Date. And we are about 3,000 women. I have monitors who monitor the group all day long. So we keep this group positive and forward moving. It is not a place to come and vent and talk about how awful men are or how awful dating is. There are other groups for that. But this is this is a positive place to grow. Um, and I work both privately and in groups as I have many different ways and many different price points and they're all on my website. So I would love if you're interested, I do a complimentary half hour phone call to see if we're a good fit and all that is on the website. That is great. And you work with people virtually, right? So you I can do. work with people anywhere. I do. I work with people all over the world. So yeah, all done wow. by video conferencing. Uh, Well, Sandy, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I can't wait to talk to you again on October 28th at our dating, ultimate dating advice event that you're going to be part of. So thank you. And we'll see you then. Yay. Thank you. Okay, great.